Hello, I'm Richard Sargent, and this is Faith in Action, a podcast about how faith affects the way we live and work today. Journalists have an important role in interpreting and articulating culture, telling stories, shaping our understanding of the world we live in. But how does faith fit in an industry that's famously secular? Where should forgiveness and mercy feature in the journalistic scrutiny of those in public life? And as we see news outlets chase stories that provoke outrage or emotion, will good news only ever be found in, in the gospel rather than in the broadsheets? With me to discuss faith in journalism is Lucy Denyer, the deputy comment editor of the Daily Telegraph. Lucy, welcome. Hello. Lucy, how did you come to be a journalist? I studied English at university and during my time there I did a study abroad programme where I spent four months in the States in Illinois at a university that had an enormous student newspaper and a great journalism programme. So I took some classes and having always toyed with the idea that was what settled my mind. I then did a postgrad in magazine journalism at Cardiff and then moved to London and got my first job not long after that on a magazine. Fantastic. What was it that attracted you to journalism? So I've always loved to read and write and tell stories, I guess. I'd love to write a book, but the thought of writing more than 1,500 words at a time (laughs) is terrifying. So journalism is a slightly easier way. And there was always a part of me that wanted to write the sort of pieces that someone would cut out of the paper and send to a friend. (laughs) That's fantastic. And what do you actually do day to day? What, what does life as, as deputy comment editor look like? It's, it's pretty hectic. So I, um, I leave the house at about between 8 and 8.30 and get into the office for 9. Spend the first hour or so reading the papers and calling our main op-ed writer for that day and anyone else who's scheduled to write to talk through their ideas and what they think they might like to cover in the following day's paper. We then have a news conference at 10 o'clock with the editor and various other section heads where we run through our list of options of things that we could put in, having gone through the paper and come up with thoughts. That's then decided on by the editor what he'd like. We then spend the next half an hour or so commissioning anything that we need to commission. At 11 o'clock we have leaders conference, which is where we discuss uh, what the paper's view on the main issues of the day is going to be. That's usually just an initial kind of quite ranging exploratory thought because often things won't have happened at that point if we know someone's giving a key speech or an announcement's going to be made. We then, after that, sort of try and deal with anything that we're putting up online that hasn't made it into print, get that sorted. I try and take a bit of a lunch break, maybe go and do some exercise or pop out of the office. At three o'clock, we have another leader conference, which is where we finalize what the leaders are going to be there's usually two slightly longer more serious leaders Uh, on a friday we do one long leader and then a small last one and there's always the sort of the jokey third which is a fun take on a fun story in the next day's paper copy usually starts coming in at about that time and so from then on we are editing the copy putting it through to the sub editors building it for the online pages and then proofreading the pages when they come back from the subs, rewriting headlines, making sure that everything's accurate, and then trying to get it all done at a relatively decent hour to be able to go home again. <laughs> that sounds like squeezing at least three days into one. It's, it's very busy. Yeah. And uh, Lucy, you're, you're Christian. How, how did you come to be Christian? Um, I grew up in a Christian family, and when I was 
apparently about three. I asked my mother if I could give my life to Jesus. I don't have a specific recollection of this, but she prayed with me and I did that. So I suppose I would say I've never known a time where I didn't know God in my life or feel that he was there for me or I believed in him. So it's just something that I have had all the time at varying stages of intensity according to different things that have been going on. And what difference does faith make to your work? I feel as if I'm called to do what I do. And I felt that very strongly a few times over the last years. I've been at the Telegraph for three and a half years now. And not long after I first started, my husband had news of a job that was going to take him out of the country for quite some time. And there was a part of me that questioned what I was doing with two small children. In fact, Yes, I did have two at the time. And I then had another baby and I was very uncertain about going back. But again, really felt as if God wanted me there. And I don't know exactly in what capacity that is, but I feel very strongly that there is a reason for me to do the job that I do Mm. at the place that I do right now. And you stand in a a strong line of Christian journalists, you know, G.K. Chesterton, Malcolm Muggeridge, Christopher Howes, uh, Telegraph. Is there any difference between a a Christian journalist and a a secular one? I think in the same way that there's differences in Christians in any walks of life and those who are secular. Not so much that it necessarily affects what you do in your job or how you do your job, just as the way that you view life. Mm. And so in the same way that there might not be a difference in the way a Christian doctor does their job compared to a non-Christian doctor. But the lens through which you view what you're doing, I think, is different. I would also like to think, obviously, in my line of work, there are a range of different media outlets and different voices. And in my head, there are papers I definitely would not like to work for. But I also feel as if God calls people into places for reasons. So perhaps if a job came up on one of those I would trust that it was Mm. God calling me there as opposed to I shouldn't do it. And that lens through which you view the world, I wonder if you give any examples of how that might affect the way that you see anything from the financial crisis to the way in which people spend their leisure. How does that lens have practical consequences? I think... A lot of it is about trusting that God has a bigger picture. I mean, you mentioned the financial crisis, which obviously had global impact and individual impact. And to trust that God is over all of that and that this is a temporal, worldly thing. There have also been instances in the past where I've written stories that particularly have been an opportunity to demonstrate faith. I I recently interviewed a friend of mine who'd written a book which was very much a depiction of his faith and his trust in God but through the garden that he'd built and it was a real opportunity to just weave a bit of that into that story and feel that I was able to help bring that book that he'd written to the world in interviewing him. My comment pages are are so thought-provoking but often they are a vehicle for criticism and the work of critics is usually inking judgments and opinions on ideas sometimes on on people Jesus was relatively outspoken on the need not to judge or be judgmental. How do you square those positions? I think a good comment piece, although it will come down on one side or another, makes you think. And I think that obviously a lot of the people who write for us do have very strong opinions on one 
thing or another, but part of the reason they are there is to make you think whether it is that it's to persuade people or to make them disagree with them. And I don't think that there's a problem with that. I think that that is the role of the comment pages and my job as the comment editor, deputy comment editor, is to produce excellent pieces that are well written and that will make people think. And that's my job Mm. and that's what I have to do. That makes me feel as if I'm slightly abdicating responsibility. But I think if I can do my job to the best of my ability, then I'm doing what I've been called to do and given the talents to do. And if if it makes people think, I don't think that's a bad thing. Is there a style of criticism perhaps that you might lean towards perhaps focusing on the ideas rather than the people, the person, the personality? Or uh, do you think anything is fair game provided it makes you think? I think I think anything is fair game. In my opinion, I think as long as something is well written and well argued, it has a place in the pages. And there have definitely been pieces that we have run where I've not agreed with the person's perspective, but they have written it well and they have argued their case persuasively and it on that merit it should and must go in. Inevitably, there are some things you have to run. That is just part of the job. And as somebody who I write sometimes, but not always, I, I mostly commission and we have certain writers that write on certain days and they are commissioned because they are excellent in their field. And so I am not telling them what to write so much as shaping what they've written if it needs shaping. A couple of years ago, the Reuters Institute published a, a report on the state of, of British news media and commented on, on faith. I'll, I'll link to the article in the, the show notes and suggested that journalists were perhaps rather more secular than the average person in, in Britain. Do you, do you find that? Do you, do you experience the newsroom as a, a pretty secular working environment does that bring challenges i'd say it's it is a fairly tough working environment and i think the secularism maybe comes from the fact that journalists are trained to be somewhat cynical and to ask questions of everything that is our job to hold everything up to the light and question it for rigor and for truth and i think in a increasingly secular world where religion is as much held up for scrutiny as anything else that can lead towards a more secular mindset. But against that, I would say that The Telegraph is a very sympathetic place to work if you're a Christian. I have Christian colleagues who, you mentioned Christopher House earlier, Tim Stanley. You know, it is it is not a place where I feel as if I have to hide my faith. And again, I think because journalists are questing and questioning, often that provides opportunities to talk about things which you might not have in other environments even if the questioning you might get might be a little tougher than <laughs> elsewhere. And that, that journalistic uh, scepticism, the uh, desire for rigour and, and for truth, is that something that you've uh, found yourself applying to your own faith? Yeah, I think so. And, and certainly in times when perhaps I've been further from God, not reading my Bible or not sort of checking in, the cynicism can creep in to me and to my faith. But I think that you know, the desire not to take anything at face value can be really good. And it's important to ask those questions and to seek and to probe because it means that when you come to the answer or you have the revelation, it it feels satisfying in a way that perhaps it wouldn't be if you didn't ask the hard questions in the first place. Public faith in in journalism seems to be rather lower than one might wish. There have been various surveys on again, linked to one below that uh, says, I think only about 
32% of the public would, would trust journalists or, or journalism, which is, is lower than even government, as well as NGOs and business. And a lot of people say they're not consuming the news anymore. I, I think only 6% of people describe themselves as as informed. Uh, should the public have more faith in, in journalism in the UK? I think so. I think that we live in an age of social media where arguably it's never been easier to get breaking news. But I think that the rise of Twitter and Facebook and all these other platforms have muddied the waters. And I think there is a lot of fake news out there, to quote Trump. But I think that the... there And, and there's also been scrutiny of the media with the Levson inquiry, with the phone hacking scandal, with all of that stuff. But I think that as a result because the mainstream media, by which I mean, you know, newspapers like mine, have had it quite hard. They are even more concerned with being truthful. We now have incredibly rigorous standards to which we have to stay accountable to. And therefore, I hope <laughs> that the the good stuff will rise to the top. And I, I sort of feel as if maybe there might be a bit of a shift that I think, obviously, newspapers as well are... Um, facing increasing challenges with how to fund consumption of the news, paywalls, all of that kind of thing. Mm. Um, but I sort of see signs of, you know, just as people are prepared to pay a small amount for Netflix, for example, they might hopefully also be prepared to pay a small amount for journalism that they see as being rigorous and and striving to get to the truth. Um, and, I, and I hope that that is the way it's going, because actually I do think you should trust journalists mm. with a healthy pinch of salt, but I but most of them are doing their job really, really trying to present something truthfully mm. and well and under pressure against all these other outlets that are confusing things. And the, the press uh, does occupy that space of trying to search for truth, to provoke people to think, to be sceptical and, and critical in, in some ways. But there are some strands of faith that feel a little different when it comes to forgiveness or or mercy those aren't elements that one traditionally associates with with fleet street is is there a tension there is there a deficit of a forgiveness of perhaps public figures who have done things wrong is there any room for redemption in the eyes of the press or is it mainly about judgment i think it does vary from outlet to outlet i would like to think that the telegraph tries to provide space in which to withhold judgment, if at all possible, in the current political crisis when nobody knows exactly what's going on from one moment to the next. It's very easy in our leader conference to sort of sit around and slagging off our leaders and how terrible they are. But in print, we always tr- we try and be as fair as we can. And I think there are so many options as well to say... You know, you pick a past prime minister, someone like Tony Blair, someone like David Cameron. You can say, well, it feels as if they're going to be judged primarily on this, but this. And I think that if a public figure has, you know, genuinely tried to do their best and done the job to the best of their ability, that there there is hopefully some fairness in how they are judged. But again, it will depend on the outlet, obviously, paper I work for tends to be more sympathetic to right-wing politicians and something like The Guardian might be more sympathetic to the other side. So that will always colour things too. But I would hope that there is space for redemption. (laughs) 
And is there a, a, a challenge also that that happiness, good good news in a way, tends to, I think somebody used the expression that happiness writes white, that uh, it tends not to grab the attention in the same way that crisis or emotional tragedy tends to grab people's attention. So is there a, a pressure within journalism to perhaps focus on the more negative side of, of life rather than to accentuate the positive? Is there... Uh, any future for good news in in journalism? Well, there's the old adage that dog bites man is not a story, but man bites dog is. So inevitably, something nice happening to someone is just not always that exciting (laughs) for people to read about. But equally, you do get amazing stories. I mean, the recent story about the rescue of those Thai boys from that cave... That's true. ...was such an amazing story of kind of human endurance and and triumph and, and tragedy as well. But it was... It was a really uplifting story, and I think that really captivated the media and readers. So I I think, it, you know, yes, there is often a disproportionate amount of kind of slightly gloomy news, but I think it doesn't mean that stories of hope and triumph and, you know, human spirit and indomitability can't also cut through. You're... As a- journalists probably one of the most intentional professions for thinking about culture um i'd love to explore that a bit your what your perspective is uh, there's an author called jonathan Haidt who wrote a book a few years ago called the righteous mind which was a, a fascinating and insightful study of of the cultural foundations of of morality and I, I think the short version of his argument is that society has changed i, I think we've seen this in the uk rich western liberal societies still value things that all societies value things like kindness and fairness and freedom but we've perhaps deprecated the value of of other things that more traditional societies value things like loyalty or authority or or purity is that something that that you've seen as as you survey culture from your your area in the telegraph I think actually that's where being on the comment pages is a real opportunity because I think that is a place where you can have space to examine those values. Um, We recently ran a piece by Rabbi Sachs who did a series on Radio 4 on morality and modern society and he came to the conclusion that we have sort of lost a collective morality as faith has declined in society and that it's that's a really key thing and is something that we need to try and regain and we ran a big op-ed by him on that so i think it is a space where where you can explore those things and i i also without being too party political about it think that a conservative newspaper often the things that you mentioned are quite conservative values and our readers are concerned about those things too and that then gives more space to explore Things like morality and um, things that that are countercultural mm. to to perhaps the kind of throwaway nature of modern society. But I'd say actually, to be fair, in all comment sections of of most kind of proper newspapers, it, it's space to look into those things. So I do feel privileged in that that's a place where one can do that. And if after Height or, or Jonathan Sachs's argument, the foundations for morality collective or individual have shifted a little bit do you think that the way in which christians engage with culture 
ought to shift as well? What are the, the most effective ways that you've seen Christians actually engaging with, with culture to be a positive force in society? I think that's a really tricky question in that there's always the argument of how much faith should shift to match society's expectations. And I think it's something the church wrestles with. I think each individual wrestles with it. Um, and actually, if you look back through biblical history, everyone's wrestled with it. I was really struck by my colleague Tim Stanley, who wrote recently about the church's attempt to kind of speak to modern secular society. He was picking up on Justin Welby's addressing the TUC. And what he pointed out was that throughout recent history, the church has tried to be sort of modern and relevant. But in doing so, they often lose sight of talking about God and that actually the only thing that is going to transform people's lives or make them come to faith is to show them the message of the gospel, not to be kind of hip and cool because they'll just go, thank goodness they're not talking about God. <laughs> and I thought that was really interesting and actually a challenge to me because I think often um, as a Christian in modern secular society, you feel you have to show that you are, you know, the same as everyone else. You're not weird or strange or... Um, you know, you can talk about these things in the same breath. But I think actually he made the point that it comes back to, it always comes back to God, to Jesus, to the sacrifice that was made. And and actually that's the thing we need to keep hold of. But equally, I think there are so many different ways in which you can be a Christian in the secular workplace, even if that's just quietly praying for people. <laughs> and so I think there's a myriad of ways to engage as a Christian, and it doesn't necessarily mean shoving in your view on everything at every opportunity. It can just be behind-the-scenes prayer. <laughs> and Lucy, what do the next few years look like for you? That that sense of mission, how, how do you see things evolving over the next five, ten years? Well, the $100 million question <laughs> is I don't know. I think it's really tricky because I think on the one hand, I sort of, you know, the desire is to have a kind of five-year plan and say, I want to get here and there's a part of me that would love to edit a section um, and to, to climb the ladder sort of editorially. Um, but again, it butts up against that whole, you might get called to do something totally different. And it's that sort of openness to whatever doors might open. And I, I suppose throughout my whole career, I've never had a kind of ultimate game plan. <laughs> I'm just not organised enough. And I've kind of gone on, I'll push this door and if it opens, I'll walk through it, which so far seems to have worked quite well. Um, and I do feel like God has, you know, opened those doors for me and shut other ones quite firmly. So I think I'll probably just keep going on that basis with a vague idea of wanting to move up, but but kind of continually asking the question as I go along. Trust in journalistic providence. Exactly. <laughs> Lucy, thank you so much for talking to me. Thank you. <laughs>